0: On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we are taking a page from our own company's playbook. And during the offseason, ESPN launched the one-team speaker series, bringing in athletes and celebrities to address boys' and girls' clubs during the pandemic. And it worked out extremely well. And we did it last week with the former Buffalo Bills Hall of Fame wide receiver Andre Reid and the great former Giants wide receiver Victor Cruz, both of whom were members of boys and girls clubs growing up and came back to speak to them last week in a conversation that I moderated. We thought we would bring that to you this particular week. And then we will hear from the NFL's Executive Vice President of Football Operations, Troy Vincent, as he addresses what is going on in our country and how the NFL is handling that in terms of the season ahead, his thoughts on Colin Kaepernick and a whole host of issues for the NFL's highest-ranking minority. But we now are at a time in our country where the two major off-season storylines, the pandemic and the epidemic of racism, are intersecting and will continue to do so up until training camp and then into the NFL season. And it's a situation where over the weekend, we began to see more and more players continue to speak out, as they should, and we heard the first head coach, Houston Texans Bill O'Brien, come out and say that he will be kneeling during the anthem, which quickly was followed up by the Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield saying the same thing. And J.J. Watt, the Texans Pro Bowl defensive end, leaving open the idea that certainly his mindset will be different going into the season, if not the way he approaches the national anthem will be. And the more I read about this, the more I realized, in my mind, it's an obvious stance. And it's almost going to become more newsworthy if somebody is standing this upcoming season. Because I think that each one of these teammates is going to join his brother. And I think that if the NFL does have the national anthem, that you're going to see the majority of players all kneeling for what it stands in this year. And it's going to upset a large segment of people in the population. But those are people that have to understand where we're at as a society and what the meaning of the kneeling is. I'm not here to get into what's right and what's wrong. I'm just telling you, the more I read this, the more I see it, the more obvious it is to me that we're going to see more and more players, head coaches, NFL officials kneeling for national anthems this season. And that may just be the new norm for this upcoming season. And then, of course, we're dealing at the same time with the pandemic as certain areas are seeing an uptick in the numbers and certain areas are reopening. And every place in the country seems to be at a different stage of where it's at and handling the pandemic. This one question won't go away. How it will impact NFL teams this season. And just to give you an example, I was on the phone last week with a high-ranking member of an organization who is telling me how challenging and taxing it is going to be for every organization in the league to be dealing with the pandemic all year long. Now, let's get this straight. Obviously, it's nothing compared to doctors and nurses and first responders and medical workers and all the people that are on the front line dealing with this. But from a football perspective, this is something that the NFL has never had to tackle. And as I was on the phone with this particular individual, he says, do you realize how much manpower we have to devote to this on a daily basis and what this is like for us. And he's telling me how he goes in and gets his temperature checked every day, every single morning, twice a day, has to fill out paperwork every day. There have to be people that are there to accept that paperwork every day. And as we're talking and he's going through everything, he says, hold on. And, and he said, good morning. And he said, yep. Okay. And all of a sudden, bam, they took his temperature for the first time, 97.1. And he rolls to the door. We're talking. We continue our conversation in two, three more minutes. And he says, hold on. 96.9, second temperature. And he says, hold on. Yes, let me fill out this paperwork. No, no, no. And so this was the plight of one individual one morning on the way into work last week as I sort of did it with him on the way in listening to what it was like. And I thought to myself, wow. So this is going on and will be going on in 32 NFL buildings for 90 players this summer, for roughly 18, 19, 20 coaches per staff, for the entire staffs that show up. It's an enormous undertaking that is hard to put into words. And this is what the league's teams will be facing. And I think every company and every line of work is going to be facing something similar because this is just the new normal that we now will be experiencing. And it's a reminder every day. Even this morning, I picked up the newspaper. Yes, I still read the newspaper and was reading about schools in my area are considering the measures they'll be taking if and when they can open schools in the fall. And I said to myself, wow, oh, wow, are we living in different times. It's just incredible to think about everything in that phone conversation with that one NFL individual as he was going into work, in my mind, completely illustrated that. All right, we're now going to be joined, of course, as I mentioned, by the Hall of Fame wide receiver Andre Reed and the former Giants wide receiver Victor Cruz. But before we get to them, as the NBA is set to make its return to television, make sure you're keeping up with all things in and around the NBA with Brian Windhorst and the Hoop Collective podcast. Be sure to download and subscribe to the Hoop Collective, as well as the Adam Schefter podcast an Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And before we get to the podcast, speaking of the NBA, with real guidance and the right coach, NBA teams go from good to great. Just like real help from your State Farm agent can make all the difference in protecting what matters most. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help guide you through whatever life throws your way. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now, as you mentioned, the conversation that we had for the Boys and Girls Club last week with the Hall of Fame wide receiver, Andre Reid, and the former Giants wide receiver, Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz, my teammate at ESPN, and Andre Reid, and gentlemen, thank you very much for your time today. And I guess I would start by saying with where we're at in the world now, where do we go from here?
1: Well, I think it starts with education. I think we have to, you know, educate ourselves on the black community specifically and what they've gone through, what we've gone through, um, our ancestry and what that looks like so we can understand where we are today so that we can plan for the future. And like you said, Shefty, it's, it's more so, you know, just what are those little things that you can do? Start by listening, start by, uh, you know, creating a level of understanding and then building on top of that, I think we just have to set a foundation of positivity to understand that they respect, you know, the black community's plight and the things that they've gone through up until this point um, so that we can cross that bridge and get over that hurdle and start to build on a solid foundation from here moving forward.
2: Andre? Man, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, Victor, you hit it right on the head. Um, we got to change the narrative. And all these things that are going on now—they're happening for a reason. But what do we do about it? Um, you know, the black community is—this has been happening for 400 years, and we've started from a uh, a certain place in life that we've always been down. We've always been put down. We've always been in a certain place, and then when we try to get the respect and you know gain momentum and be kind of equal we're always pushed back down and and i'm saying this not only as a black man but a guy coming from an interracial family so a lot of my you know my two brothers are white my mom was white uh my dad was black my sister's black my brother's kids are all white so you know as a kid i i went through some really crazy times and you know i was trying to figure out what my identity was um you know, getting bullied and getting teased and all this stuff in school and in elementary school and junior high school and trying to figure out who I was as a person. And if it wasn't for sports, and I know as sports, you know, individuals, um, that gave me the identity really that I needed, uh, for myself, regardless of skin color, uh, where I lived economically, it didn't matter, but, um, not everybody has that. And everybody can play sports and be great at what they did. So where do we go from here is we got to listen. Just as Victor said, we're all quick to judge, but we don't listen. And once we figure that out and then get everybody together on the same page and we talk about, again, sports, for us to be successful, everybody has to be on the same page. And right now, this country is not on the same page. And we, when we turn the pages, sometimes we have to go backwards and read what we did to move forward. And, um, you know, it starts with, uh, you know, all the people at the highest level, um, all the way to the, uh, the people at the so-called bottom, if you want to call it. So that's, uh, you know, to me, that's the narrative that needs to be changed. We're going to move ahead for a moment, but before we do,
0: I want to ask you Andre about being bullied. You brought up being bullied. Was that because you were the child of an interracial couple? Yes, exactly. And,
2: I lived in a predominantly black neighborhood, but I went to school with, uh, every race as race and ethnicity you can think of. You know, I went to school with Puerto Ricans and had a couple of Syrians in there and we had white, we had black, we had, oh man, you name it. So the melting pot was there. Uh, and many a times, you know, I would get bullied because I was in that melting pot by the so-called higher up kids, and um, again, it, it, it was a problem. And I used to talk to my mom and dad about it. And my dad was such a, you know, he was a, came from Virginia and grew up in, you know grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia. And my dad was just one of those guys that don't worry about what they say; just be yourself, and that'll take care of everything. And you know, my mom was scared for me. She was actually, she even told me as a kid that. I protected you just a little bit more than than your brothers and your sister, because you were so-called the black sheep of the family. And uh, I never knew what that meant. But now I do. I mean, of course, I know what that means now. So, um, you know, the bullying was, you know, almost every other day. And it was uh again, it was sports that really took my mind off of all those things that were happening. But there's no doubt about it. It was very evident. Victor, did you have any
0: experiences like that growing up that shaped you at all that Andre's talking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, there were instances growing up where I had, you know, growing up and being half black and half Puerto Rican. I mean, there, you know, I challenged, I had some of those issues as well. Just going through school and, you know, having my black friends on one side and my Spanish friends on the other side and those two sides not really commingling as much. You know what I mean? And that, Obviously that's a whole separate issue for another day, but it's still that same feeling of, um, of exactly that as my little one runs by in the distance. Um, but yeah, so it's just the, you know, I, I just remember those feelings and those feelings of having to make that decision at a young age. I was only 11, 12, you know, maybe even younger where I'm just like, why can I bring him over here and not be over there? You know, how, why aren't these two parts of my life? Able to coexist, and and it, it, that was really difficult for me to understand as a kid. But you know, as I got older, and obviously again more education, more knowledge, I start to read and start to you know understand more. And then I started to understand what this world was about and what how society had shaped you know our thinking and our level of thinking on what was right and who to be around and what wasn't.
0: Now I think I think, and hopefully both of you will agree here that we as a society seem to be in a different place now than we were in 2017 when there was a movement in the NFL back then or social justice to end some of the type of behavior that we've seen, the police brutality, the inequality, whatever it may be. And do you think that we as a society, and I'll start with you, Victor, are better positioned to right the wrongs?
1: I think in this moment that we stand, I believe so, because mainly because the cat's out the bag now. You can't claim ignorance. You can't claim that you don't see it. You can't claim that it isn't happening. You know, it's in your face. It's every time you open up your Instagram. It's every time you have a conversation about it. It's every time you put the news on, it's there in your face, vivid and plain sight. So you can't turn the blind eye to it anymore. So I think companies and people and and just different and dip from all walks of life are going to start to change the way they operate and start to listen to the black voice a little bit more so that they go about this on a more diverse platform and make things better for the future. But again, you know, it's, this is the we got to set the foundation. You know, this is where we begin that process. And it has to begin on solid foundation in order for us to grow.
2: Andre? Exactly. Exactly. A foundation is, you know, no house is built without a great foundation. And right. all these uh, different organizations right now are needed tremendously uh, to build this foundation because it's been broken down. Uh, it's been broken down by many different things. Um, you know, my pastor here in, in San Diego, his name is Miles McPherson. I don't know if you guys know Miles. He, he played in the NFL uh, for the Chargers here in San Diego and he talks about a book that he uh, just wrote called the third option and this book really i haven't read it yet but i know what the gist of it means and this is a perfect time for his book because of not only what the country's going through but it's all these little things that are happening that we need to realize um that this book can teach us about inequality and social injustice um and he talks about blind spots just like when you drive your car um you got to look in your blind spot because somebody can come up around you. You not know it. And we have to evaluate what our blind spot, blind spots are. And we have to admit that we all are in blind spots. And again, uh, just as Victor said, that a foundation really can get rid of those blind blind spots. And we can figure out really what's going on, evaluate it and, uh, you know, go to the root of it. And everybody's in this together and uh, move forward. So. Um, I'm really uh, excited about reading his book. It's it's a uh, perfect timing for what's happening in the country right now. And uh, it's, it's kind of a perfect metaphor for what's going on.
0: Now, Andre, you played the majority of your career in Buffalo. And recently, Buffalo was in the news with the police officers mm-hmm. shoving over that 75-year-old gentleman. Were you surprised what took place there over the past week? As Jackie from the B&G in Buffalo asked, and how is your experience in Buffalo when you were there?
2: Well, you know, my experience in Buffalo has always been great. Um, great fans, great fan base, um, always treated me well. Very diverse city. Uh, Buffalo is, is, is one of those cities you know those people are going to be there regardless. Uh, you know what happened a couple of, two weeks ago with that, that 75 year old man there. Was I shocked? Uh, in a way I was because, you know, I've been up in Buffalo most of my life and know the people. But that's been going on the last 12, 15 days all around the country. Um, and people are frustrated. People are, uh, trying to protest and stand for what they believe is right. And then you've got all this fake news and all this other stuff coming out of what happened and, you know, different cameras on this angle. This is, the bottom line is they jumped over for a 75 year old man and left him there bleeding. That's the bottom line. And until we figure that out and kind of, you know, realize that we're responsible for what we're doing and to write that ship, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta write that ship in some kind of way. And it isn't just blaming this guy or blaming that guy. We all gotta get together and we gotta find a solution because this is not gonna go away and it's not gonna take, you know, what happened to George Floyd and all the other people, uh, that have passed away and died because of police brutality. Yeah, that's bad. But it's going to take our leaders at the top, at the highest level to really pin this down, to make a difference. And that's believe it or not, that it's going to happen from our white friends. Um, you know, they're going to have to do something. And uh, we're all going to have to do something. So, where
0: does it start? You know, it
2: starts at the highest level.
0: Well, guys, Carter in Wayne, New Jersey, wanted to thank both of you, Andre and Victor, for sharing your story. And he writes, and I quote, I'm a black male in a predominantly white community and I experience racism. Any tips for dealing with kids who think skin color makes people different? And we'll start with Victor.
1: Wow. Uh, that's a heavy question. I think I think for tips for kids is at least I can only give you what I've given my child. And, and I'm, I'm absolutely honest with her. I mean, you have to be. I think you have to be honest with your kids nowadays and tell them exactly what's going on. I remember watching... Uh, the George Floyd protest, the first day it came out and she's laying in the bed with me and she's watching it and I'm, and I'm looking at her like, I should, I should probably have this conversation now because she's watching this and she's processing it, but she doesn't understand what she's watching. So I explained to her what was going on, what happened, why this, you know, why this has happened. And one of the most difficult questions I got in return was why didn't the officer pick his knee up off of the man's neck? And I honestly had no answer for her. And I was just telling her, I was like, that's the story. You know, that's the issue. So I think it's telling her, you know, and then I proceeded to tell her where we've been about slavery. And she understood slavery, but I broke it down to her. Why, why this is happening? What the mindset was then, what it is now, and how, you know, how she can move forward with a calm mind and know that things are going to change from this point forward and that she can walk around as a young Black queen and be, and be prideful in that and not be terrified of that. And, and I just, you know, my, my only suggestion is to just be honest. That's the only thing we can do.
0: I like that young black queen victor. I like that. And Andre, what, what tips would you have for Carter and Wayne, New Jersey about dealing with kids who think skin color makes people different?
1: I,
2: I think it comes, you know, the big bubble, you know, inside the bubble is just be yourself. I mean, that's all you can be. Um, you know, we all, you know, God made us in his image, number one, and God never said anything about skin color being a problem. Cause we're all, we all have the same melanin in them, in us, just some of us have more. And I think if you look at it that way, uh, regardless of what other people are saying and how you go about doing it, um, that's what you got to keep in perspective is that I'm a human being just like this next person, regardless of skin color and the injustices that are happening, uh, whether they they deal with me, yes, they do. But I'm going to be me and I'm going to have my own personality and my own thoughts and my own views. And that's what you should stand on. And uh, I think if you think that way uh, and it's hard, man, in this world right now, it's hard to think that way because of what's going on. Um, and stay true to yourself. If you're true to yourself, uh, I think you can definitely get through that. And uh you don't let any distractions – you know, I wasn't supposed to make it, regardless of my skin color. Uh, I wasn't supposed to make it and be who I was. But I never let nobody, regardless of what anybody said or skin color or tell me that I can't be who I want to be. And uh you just got to have that attitude.
0: Well, in a way, and correct me wrong, both you guys weren't supposed to make it. Andre, you're saying you weren't supposed to make it. Victor, you were not drafted at all. You weren't supposed to make it.
2: So yep. why don't right. you tell
0: – The people listening here, all the people in attendance today at the Boys and Girls Clubs, what would you recommend for how they make it?
1: Well, I would just say just stay the course, man. Just, There's going to be bumps in that road. There's going to be ups and downs. I'm a kid that was kicked out of college twice and came back and still finished and did what I had to do and completed and got my degree. Like, that road is not easy. You know what I mean? That road is never – if it was meant to be easy – Everyone would do it. Everyone would be a professional athlete. Everyone would be a doctor. Everyone would be a lawyer. But they're not the very finite group of people that have these jobs because they continue to put the work in and continue to be consistent. And I promise you that that consistency will lead you somewhere great and lead you somewhere to wherever your heart desires. If you just continue to stay the course, believe in yourself, believe in what's right and positive and good things will happen.
2: Andre. Yeah. um, You know, my my. My two kids are, again, I said this earlier, my son looks just like your typical white kid and my daughter looks like your half black, half white kid. And, uh you know, I have to, and they're older now, they're 26 and 24 now. But as they were growing up, what I had to reiterate to them mostly was that my daughter is that you look different than the next person, but you're a minority and so. You, you're—I min- don't even know how to say this. You're a minority, but you really aren't a minority. And I had to tell my son that too. And you know, trying to explain that to him—you know—I'm not the great, greatest of explaining things, but when it comes to race, because I went through it too, you know, I hope they understood what I meant. And uh, yeah, so that's you know, that's that's what I tried to tell them What I tried to you tell. You
0: know, them. this is gonna be the last question here, but I want to leave everybody at the boys and girls clubs with a message of hope and inspiration give the people in attendance today a message of hope and it could be pertaining to world events today it could be for a way that they go about their childhood and school careers into their professional careers a message of hope there Victor I'm going to start with you and I want you to give the people listening today a message of hope and inspiration
1: well for starters man I just want everybody to be kind I think that let's just practice being kind to one another. Let's just practice empathy. Let's practice understanding and and just trying to put yourself in other people's shoes and and see what they will go through and, and put yourself in their mindsets that may, you know, that may have less than you or, you know, just try to be understanding life and educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourself, educate yourself, because the more knowledge that you know, And the more you're able to walk into a room and articulate yourself the right way and understand what type of room you're in and how to dictate yourself and do what you need to do, the better off you will be. And then lastly, um, just do your part. I think everybody has a part to play in this world and has a part to play uh, in this in their own societies. You know, it starts with the world and then it shrinks down into where. You are, and the people that are around you, on your day to day. If you can affect your community and every, and everyone follows suit, we'll be able to change the world that way. You know, so just learn how to be someone that stands up for what you believe in in your community, and make sure you're setting an example and leading the way, and not being a follower.
2: Very good, yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I I think as a society, especially kids, are so afraid to fail that you know if they fail one time. They think, oh, life is over and, and things aren't going to go their way. Some of the greatest athletes and greatest people on this planet have failed millions of times, thousands of times. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player ever, missed 9,000 shots, failed many a times. So don't ever be afraid to fail and don't ever be afraid to realize that failure is a part of success because that is going to make you who you are. Cause if we all succeeded, and it was easy, we wouldn't do all the work. We would just show up and we'd be right there, whatever. But we as a species have to fail in order to succeed. And you, as as Victor said, you will become an example for the next person. And somebody will want to be like you. And they will want to talk to you and try to figure out: well, how did you do that when this happened or when that happened? And they'll give you their little thing on how it happened. And you can get all that knowledge, as he said. Because knowledge is power, and you will become the person you want to be, and people want to be around you. So don't ever be afraid to fail, because we all have, and be able to listen, and be able to listen to constructive criticism. And a lot of kids really don't know what constructive criticism is, is, is that when somebody tells you something, they're trying to tell you what's right for you, and you got to be receptive to what's right, what they're telling you, and not think that you know everything. And accept that constructive criticism because that's going to make you a better person in the long run. So, uh, you know, I hope that meant something.
0: And so hopefully the words that Andre Reid and Victor Cruz offered there to the Boys and Girls Club last week is something that they'll remember. And what we're going to do here in future weeks is, as I have these guests on, because I'm going to be speaking to the Boys and Girls Clubs for the next month, if the words we find inspiration and motivation and meaning in them, we will bring them to you. On this podcast because we think that is worth sharing. Before we get to Troy Vincent, first a word from AT&T. Hey guys, I know there's a lot going on right now in the world and we're all shopping online. I just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is as simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a flexible return policy, so you can shop at ease. You can visit at and to learn how to shop online. From the safety of your home, 24-7, subject to change, restrictions apply. And now, the former five-time Pro Bowl cornerback, the former Walter Payton Man of the Year Award winner in 2002, a man who was a first-round pick of the Miami Dolphins in 1992 before going on to play for the Eagles. Bills, Redskins, and becoming the NFL's Executive Vice President of Football Operations, Troy Vincent. Troy Vincent, a man who is directly responsible for putting together the NFL and Black College Football Hall of Fame third annual quarterback coaching summit, which basically uh, is the NFL working in partnership with the Black College Football Hall of Fame for the third summit, which will take place virtually. June 22nd and June 23rd, when the NFL and NCAA assistant coaches will take part in a two day program to experience professional development and networking opportunities with NFL club executives, which should be a big step to helping some of these coaching candidates get some experience and some recognition and some contacts that they could use to help take the next steps in their career. But before we get to that, Troy, I want to say. Could you ever have imagined going through an off season like this one with the pandemic, with the protests, with everything that has taken place so far?
3: No. Well, the pandemic, its that was, I would say, Adam, new. The yeah. protests, no, been, been, that's been part of, you know, frankly, part of the black community uh, lives for for decades. So that part is not new the pandemic, uh, yes, sir, and then the just being have to having to run our business, run the business, communicate, be home, uh, and do everything virtually has has been something. But, you know, frankly, there's been a lot of learnings coming out of that of, you know, as we look into what our new normal is, we've learned a lot about ourselves, and learned a lot about myself during this time and this process. Uh, but it was something that all faced. We all had to face and we all had to adjust and I think now we're starting to see America come together, uh, not only to fight not just the virus itself, but some of these s- systemic things that have plagued uh, the black community for, um, as many would say, was at sixteen nineteen.
0: I believe you are the highest ranking minority black figure in the NFL offices, correct? Some would say that. So what does this mean to you watching this all so unfold and why is it different now, Troy, than it was the last time this seemed to get into the NFL conversation back in 2017, but we didn't see the progress then that I think we're seeing now. We're starting to see now.
3: Well, what I what I think is different, and when, when I hear people say it's different, what's different, what's different? One caught on camera. Uh, we saw the ugliness of our country. Uh, we saw the brutality that whether you're black, white, young, old, That was one area that we all agreed. One thing that we saw that we disagreed: that this uh, this murder was not was not right. What is different now? I I believe when we see the young people who are black, white, Latino, Asian on the front lines uh, globally, saying, "Okay, we have to do something. This is wrong." we've had some, let's say, moments in history that has caught our nation's attention. Uh, there's been a national, a global timeout. This is the term I've been using. it like has been a global timeout. There's been a global timeout. And there's just this intersection of COVID and then this intersection of, this intersection of, let's say, brutality or inequalities here mm-hmm. that have come together, which has caused every household, every living soul to pause you say what's going on here and it's as we think about as we come through this time this moment as this as I as, as the burning bush now goes out are we going to accept the same behaviors are we going to continue to act out mm-hmm. and allow these same behaviors to exist as we come through as as the burning bush now subsides so uh that is that is what i see as the difference in you know some is just going back to to Mr. Floyd and his family beyond a tale and Aubrey, but this is again generations and generations and generations, and it's it just like i just the community we've been crying out to say, "I just need you to listen for a second, like we're not making this stuff up, like our families, our boys, our children we are we are teaching our children survival skills. Light, you know, not just necessary transferable life skills, but survival skills. And I think everyone has saw it. Everyone saw the ugliness of this, this murder. Murders take place. And it's just something that, hey, we're all in this together at the end of the day. If we're going to get this thing turned around, there were just as many whites, um, young people, Asians, Latinos on the front lines protesting There were blacks, So we got our work cut out in front
0: of us. And it is a global issue. But the spotlight will shine on the NFL this summer, this fall, whenever play and camp begins, whenever games begin, Troy. And I think we've already begun to see certain teams speak out in ways that you might not have seen before. We saw, for instance, on Friday, Steve Bishotti, the Ravens owner, come out and talk about how... I just saw the
3: video, Adam. Just watched it. Literally great, just watched the video. Great video, right? in
0: the last 10 minutes. Outstanding. Great video. Outstanding. And, 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 but that's what it think, takes. Yeah, but, but, I, but my point, Ron, I don't think we've seen many owners talk like that publicly in the past. You could correct me if I'm wrong. And now we're seeing Bill O'Brien, the Texans head coach, and by the way, I think he'll be the first of many, come out and say that he's going to be kneeling during the anthem. And so the league had a rule before that... You couldn't kneel for the anthem, which looks antiquated and, and frankly ridiculous right now. Can you imagine what it's going to look like this season and how the league is going to handle all this? It has to be in a much different way than it was in 2017. We're at a different time in society in 2020.
3: Adam, I think the two leaders, are two leaders in Commissioner Goodell and DeMarie Smith. I think one of the things that the two parties did, the two leaders did a few years back was they sat down, they had this discussion because we're gonna get through this together. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the policy, how we treat the players, uh, what we get behind. And I think I know that 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 same thing will take place whether it's policy or just how we go about handling these issues moving forward. But to their credit, they worked it out. The two organizations, the two leaders, um, I don't think there's much debate they won't have much debate around this issue. And uh, when I see Steve uh, Bashati and you've just seen Arthur Blank and Edwell, I mean you've just seen everybody the coaches um what we would say is we thank you because we need allies. And I say we men of color, families of color, we need our white allies to see what we see um and feel the pain And it is great to see people disgusted and angry. Now we have to put all of that energy into driving solutions, all the passion, everything that we've seen take place over the last month. We now have to say, okay, what are the solutions? And what's more importantly that we don't talk about that we have to is that it's so important that we as a society, we made sure that we we put our arms around our law enforcement men and women, you know we've seen some ugliness, but the vast majority of the men and women that serve our communities, good people, the family people, so we have to we got work to do because there's a a reimagining and a, and a rebranding of the the men and women who serve our communities
0: yeah.
3: and we've seen some ugly heads roar up of things that we don't like that' people that should not be serving a community. Not talked about a lot, but all of these things have to be discussed on how are we going to move forward? Because we need the men and women that serve our communities. They're important. Um, So we have to do this together. But I'm happy with what I'm saying. It's necessary. The disruption is necessary
0: for change. And I agree. And you have a lot of allies. But I would ask you, as a black man, as the executive vice president of football operations for the NFL, how do you envision this season unfolding right now? How does the NFL help in this process as the season goes on, whereas before it became something of a polarizing, divisive issue? I would
3: say we, we, we've seen this movie before. Exactly. Like yes. as, as an athlete prepares, you see what you've done well. And as we say, the eye in the sky doesn't lie. That third eye in the sky doesn't lie. And if we just rewind the tape on what took place, the disruption, uh, unorganized, there were times where we were together and the disagreements. And I think we all have to pause now and say, OK, what do we all want and how do we integrate? As I mentioned earlier in the week on Good Morning Football, how do we integrate the love of the athlete on Sunday, Monday and Thursday? So we how do we. The love that we see for the athlete when he is entertaining us, but yet once the final whistle blows and the clock goes to zero, have we don't, the, there's a, uh, the fan does not engage or care less about what's important to him as he takes the jersey off. We have our work to do to bridge that gap because this is not to offend the fan. This is not to bring, let's say, our social issues on the field, but they're real. And when some leave the stadium, they're going back to privilege and plush lifestyles. There are others leaving that stadium going back into war zones. So we got to find that right mix. And it all starts with love and finding those common areas and be able to speak the truth. And sometimes um, it's going to be disruptive. It's going to be uncomfortable. But I do believe the videotape tells us. How we can approach it? What we did? What what we did well? What did we learn from from our players? What did we learn from our coaches? What did we learn from the fans? And there's some time here where we can come together and say, okay, how does our sport, professional football, play a role in sharing in on the responsibility of driving change?
0: Well, Troy Roger Goodell, the commissioner, made a big statement in response to the NFL players asking. For the league to take action and current events have brought diversity and inclusion to the forefront of the conversation about hiring practices about companies that have spoken out how is the nfl addressing diversity equity and inclusion off the field off the field when you're talking about that being so important to when these guys stop playing we
3: well i mean adam we've spent uh, an enormous amount of time most of my time this particular off season outside of working inside of getting things right and officiating all of the time was spent on our diversity, equity, inclusion efforts, um, along with the owners and some external folks, and really diving in, taking a real look at, examining everything and say, okay, how do we get better? Because actually what we see manifest on the outside is really, is an example, is a manifestation of what's going on or what may be broken on the inside. So the focus has always been OK, the, the sidelines, what the cameras actually watching. But when, when we come internally, that's when we have to do the real assessment. And that starts with, we call it the seven point mobility plan. And it, it's critical that we talk about it. What's the seven point mobility plan? It's club and league education around diversity, equity and inclusion. Club and league, each having a diversity and equity plan. For their organization, a a thought-out strategic plan for their organization. Pipeline identification. Where's the pipeline coming from? We're talking C-suite and on the field. So you have the the revenue and the non-revenue side. Where's the pipeline? Next, development. As the individuals are being developed, I mean, identified, what development plan are we putting in place? Networking is critical. How do we engage people with folks they don't know to become more familiar? We see that's critical in the hiring cycle, whether it's head coaching job, general manager job, IT, finance, legal, networking opportunities, which I thought was really the hub and the key was our data collection. Now having a universal data collection where each of us now, 32 clubs, L.A., New Jersey, New York, we have one centralized place that we can now pull in all the data to truly assess what's going on. We can learn from one another. And then that seventh, that the last point is reporting, reporting, measuring. How do we report? And then when the commissioner put the, let's just say, the stake in the ground to say, you all as his lieutenants, I'm going to hold you accountable by your compensation, and your performance review. See, that's the one thing we all have in common that gets all of our attention is our compensation. When you put that on the table, now you have to deliver. Who are you interviewing? What does the slate look like? Are you retaining people? You have, you know, is, is, you pay equity. What does your gender, prof- gender profile look like? When you put that stake in the ground, now we knew, OK, now we can make a difference. So I just I share that uh, ample time being spent in that particular area with the owners. Yep. And then lastly, from a policy standpoint, I think this is critical. There was a lot of noise around a possible resolution of what they call draft picks and so on and so forth. But yeah. there wasn't a lot of discussion around the mobility policy. We call it the anti-tampering.
0: And what you're talking about as it pertains to teams interviewing and hiring minority head coaching candidates, correct?
3: Critical, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Critical, Adam, critical. Why is it critical? We've had a policy that has been in place for decades. And this policy, and there's been study after study, disproportionately affected men of color. Where the mobility to even go and interview for a job was denied so getting that policy approved great job by 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 ownership that was the, the uh, as we would say the linchpin uh we hope that there's some some short intermediate and long-term outcomes on many of the things that we are going that, that we've mapped out
0: so we got a lot of work to do but Troy, right now and to me it's amazing this issue got some attention before It probably didn't get as much as it should have, but in light of all the events that have occurred and unfolded over the last few weeks, there's no way that this issue will not garner more attention in the future if the hiring practices continue. But as of today, the NFL has three black head coaches and two black general managers, and that's an issue going forward. So what can the league do? What can club leadership do to identify that diverse talent? Is this quarterback coaching summit something that will help these teams and help move that process along? Because those numbers will not work in the future.
3: Adam, that is the the overall objective of the QB summit, is to acknowledge, showcase quarterbacks, or offensive mind of some of the the youngest, brightest, innovative, most successful offensive minds in the game. Now we've heard, which is completely false, Mm -hmm. which is completely a complete lie that there is no pipeline. That is absolute false. When we have men of color that have won national championships at the collegiate level over the past few years, have been wonderful play callers, bright, innovative. So the purpose of the QB Summit is to highlight these individuals, to be able to walk out here and say, not only do we have a handful, but we have 80 participants. And some of these participants have won national championships, have won Super Bowls. So to say that there's no pipeline, that is false. So that is the the, the purpose, the overall objective is, but this is where we want to bring people in, clubs. We got tremendous club participation this year from our owners, from our general managers, from our head coaches. And I commend them when the Mike Grables and the Andy Reeves and the Bruce Arians and the Chris Bowers and the Brandon Beans, they put their hand up, didn't even have to ask them, whatever I can do to assist the efforts, I understand the plight. They're now all contributors. Okay, we got a problem, and we got to fix this problem. But it first starts with an open and a willing heart to look across from someone and, and give them a, a, a true shot, not looking for a handout
0: outside of programs like the Quarterback Summit, Troy. The league doing anything to help individual candidates in the pipeline?
3: Yes. So we have. When we look at our Bill Walsh, our, our Bill Walsh—that's our our, our coaching—is not fellowship that is now a true pipeline. It's a a platform that is strictly geared towards pipeline. We have our NC2A Coaching Academy that we work with the NC2A. We have our um, East-West Shrine Game. All of these are development opportunities. The Senior Bowl, uh, Jim Nakey has been wonderful of using these different platforms to identify and develop not only the coach, but front office personnel. and using our current, you know, the brightest minds in the game. You got a call from David uh, a a few few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And you can you can this atmosphere, this environment has stirred up something inside people's soul and we have multiple platforms um to con- that can t- that year-round identification, development and we have to do our part um Adam and highlighting these men during the year. So we've even we've been, uh made enhancements to our media policy to make sure that assistant coaches are available to the media, yeah. so that people can see them. So that general managers and coaches who may be in the hiring cycle to, in, in in the coming years they can see these people. And we as the league, we got to use our own our own operated assets to make sure and working with the club that these men are recognized and acknowledged for their play calling ability, their innovation, yeah. their strategy so that when the time comes, they get a shot.
0: You know, it's interesting about that. And you and I have talked about that because we would like to highlight some of these men and we would like to make sure that they get their chance and do what we can, at least what I can from my perspective, right? And so, I've gone over with you, some of the men that should be in the spotlight like that. A guy like Byron Leftwich, who's the offensive coordinator in Tampa, right? And so we want to shine a spotlight on them. I went to the Buccaneers a couple of times last season during the year and a couple of weeks ago. And I said, can we get Byron on the podcast? And they sent me back a note last week that said basically that they're flatter and appreciative, but that they want to stay in the background right now and they just want to concentrate on coaching. So again, their efforts being made, but sometimes it'd be nice if if they took that spotlight and shone it on themselves as much as they don't want to do that, as was the case with Byron. I will continue to ask black assistant coaches to come on this podcast on a regular basis. And I hope some of them will, because I think there are some great candidates out there that people need to know more about. Eric Biennemi's been on, we'll try to get him on again, but I'd like for NFL owners to be able to tune in and hear, and I'd like fans to hear how qualified some of these men are and how ready they are for a head coaching opportunity.
3: So, Adam, that's where we, we – that's the shared responsibility. That's the personal accountability. And as we go through and, and as we, we evaluate it, interviews from the past and what we've done well and what we, didn't, what we haven't done well, both uh, as an organization and individually, this is part of it this is part of people hearing and knowing who you are this is what your counterparts do this is not about no i'm going to put my head down and do my job yeah. that's not reality yeah. that is not reality but that's part of the way we've done things in the past and the way some of let's just say some of the coaches that has been their way of going about it no that that doesn't get you where you want to go in this era Those days are over.
0: Well, we'll look forward to hearing Byron Leftwich on this podcast. I think it would be great to get him on. I think he's got a lot to offer, and he's one of these guys that I've heard about and know a little bit about what a bright coaching candidate he is and will be one day, and so we're happy to put that spotlight on him when he's ready. Before I let you go, Troy, there's been a lot of conversation about Colin Kaepernick, and people were disappointed that the commissioner didn't mention him in his message. I'm just curious to know where you stand on that issue with all of your history with Colin Kaepernick.
3: One, I, I think I know I acknowledged each of the men uh, this week for their sacrifices from Malcolm Jenkins and Quan Bolden, Colin Kaepernick, Kenny Stills, Eric Reed. Those men of recent, but I we I reminded this this we had a town hall not to a few hours ago and just had to remind the staff members that the player protest actually started in uh, September of 20, of 2014, mm-hmm. Ferguson, Kenny Britt. Yep. And Kayvon Austin coming out of the tunnel in the smoke with the hands up in St. Louis. So let's think about that. So those, those year 14 and 15 was when we, we start seeing let's on field. Uh, let's just say, Activism as it pertains to Colin. There were a few years back where, personally, I spent over two seasons, and this has been documented, court documented, the time and effort I spent working to find and identify Colin an opportunity to work and to play again in the National Football League. Can't hire, we don't hire. That'll be a decision uh, that is made by a head coach, a general manager, and an owner. That's a club decision. But this young man is talented enough to play in the National Football League. I believed that back in 2000 and whatever it was, 16 or 17, and I still believe that today and just hasn't had the opportunity um, to display his talents once again. whether it was in camp or in preseason. But that's always been my position. It's been many of my colleagues' position, frankly, the commissioner's office position. Uh, but we can't hire. And, and again, Adam, um, my comments that I've just made, they've been documented um, on the record in front of a judge about the work and the efforts that many of us uh, were working on behalf of, of looking for Colin to land a spot.
0: Do you think we'll see him again playing the league, Troy? If you had a
3: guess, again, that's a decision that's going to be made from uh, at the club level. Adam, I pray, I pray back then that God's will be done, and I, I, I that hasn't changed. My heart has not changed in that situation. God's will will
0: be done. Well, Troy, I really appreciate the time. Again, just a reminder for those that are out there: the quarterback coaching summit will be held virtually here uh, June. 22nd, June 23rd. Uh, it'll be an event in which the NFL and NCAA assistant coaches will take part in a two-day program to experience professional development and networking opportunities with NFL club executives. And it's the exact kind of event that I think will, what well, we hope, move the process along and make it such that there are even more minority candidates being interviewed and hired for prominent coaching positions. And the man that made it all possible is Troy Vincent. And Troy, we thank you for the time today. Hope you get to enjoy some of the downtime uh, during this offseason. And it should be, obviously, a busy and chaotic season ahead. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate you, Adam. And so there is Troy Vincent, the NFL's executive vice president of football operations, a man who's in a very interesting position. You heard his thoughts On Colin Kaepernick and we continue to wait to see whether Colin Kaepernick will get a job in the league and as we record this on Monday June 15th I can tell you that there hasn't been any meaningful dialogue there has not been a team that has stepped up just yet we'll see whether that changes before training camp or not but to date nobody has arranged to schedule an interview with him a visit with him for when those are allowed back again Nobody seems at this point in time to be willing to give him a roster spot. And, again, I'll give you an idea that I had, and it sounds a little crazy, but I thought the NFL should create, in this particular case, this one time, a roster exemption for the team that signs Colin Kaepernick. That way the league would help get him back in the league. And that would mean that while every team gets to carry 55 players, the team that got to sign Colin Kaepernick, would have 56 players, and it would just be an added roster spot because that team would be carrying a third quarterback in Colin Kaepernick. It's an idea that I think was interesting. I I don't know that the league is going to do it. I doubt that the league is going to do it because it's such an unusual idea. But why not just create an exception for all that he's done, all that he's meant, and to ease the path for him to get back into the NFL so if Troy Vincent wants to consider that, the NFL wants to consider that, my pleasure. It would be great to have Colin Kaepernick back in the NFL. Hopefully he'll be back for the Adam Schefter podcast next week. Special thanks to Andre Reed, the Hall of Fame wide receiver from the Buffalo Bills, my colleague at ESPN, Victor Cruz, the former great New York Giants wide receiver, and Troy Vincent, the Executive Vice President of Football Operations For the NFL. And thank you, listener, for tuning into another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll be back with more special guests and more insight into the intersection of the pandemic of COVID-19 and the epidemic of racism. Until then, have a great week, everybody.